Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about agriculture and medicine with an emphasis on biotechnology and the good things we can do for people and the planet. My name is Kevin Fulton. I'm your weekly host of the podcast. And today is a podcast that I've been waiting to do for a long time. Even before the recent uh, news was hit the headlines, I've been extremely interested in cotton. And cotton is really important for lots of areas all over the world, grown by 20 million farmers in 80 countries, uh, tons and tons of cotton produced. It's a very important crop for fiber. But at the same time, the seed, the part that's usually the commodity when we think about food and farming, um, is sometimes almost, I don't want to say disregarded, but not used to its fullest potential. That's for a couple of different reasons we'll discuss with our guests today. And the remedies that he's come up with, with his team, to solve the problem of maximizing how we can use cotton for food, especially for humans and for animal feed. Today's guest is Dr. Kirti Rathor. He's a professor at Texas A&M University, and he and his team have been working on a special genetic engineering trick to maximize the utility of the cotton seed as food. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Rathor. Thank you. Good to be with you. Yeah, thank you so much for joining me. And I, I hope you sense my enthusiasm for the topic. You know, it really starts with your background and where you grew up. And can you tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of your, your root connections with cotton? Yes, uh, I grew up in India. I was born in India. I grew up there. I did my schooling and uh, bachelor's and master's degree in India. Uh, uh, and I grew up in the rural part of India. My father was a doctor, and uh, uh, and so I saw a lot of his patients uh, who were suffering from different sorts of illnesses, but you could attribute most of those illnesses to hunger and malnutrition. So that sort of, uh, you know, influenced me a little bit. Um, and uh, after... And I started out doing plant science in uh, basic science, but I think in the 1990s, early uh, early 1990s, late 80s, uh, biotechnology <clears throat> was coming up, and uh, I sort of made a switch to biotechnology a little bit late in my career, but I think I made a good move. Uh, and so uh, started work using biotechnology tools to uh, try to help improve croplands so that uh, we can uh, feed more people and uh, provide more nutritious food and so on. Well, all of the uh, genetic improvement for cotton, most of it has really come through the idea of improving fiber and really hasn't focused on the seed predominantly, which has some potential food value. But how, what can you tell me more about the cotton seed and the potential food value that it has? That's right. So um, 
I started working on cotton after coming to Texas. I was at Purdue University before that. Um, and as you know, cotton, uh, Texas is a big, big cotton producer. Um, and so I thought this will be a good crop to work on. So as I read the literature, I uh, found that cotton seed, uh, I, I was just surprised to uh, see these numbers. So for example, cotton plant produces 1.6 times more seed than it produces fiber uh, in terms of weight. So overall, currently as things stand, we produce about 47 million metric tons of cotton seed in the world. And uh, that um, and cotton seed has about 23% protein and 21% oil. The protein is of relatively good quality. And so I thought, okay, this is something that uh, we can work on. And uh, that's how I started. Well, if cotton has all this protein and all of this oil, why is it not used for food more often? Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, so the reason why we do not use cotton, cotton seed, especially for food or feed for many of the animals is because of the presence of a toxic terpenoid gossypol. Uh, this gossypol is present throughout the cotton plant uh, and obviously it's present in the seed as well. And it provides a, um, it, it has a value for the cotton plant. It protects the cotton plant uh, against uh, insects and some diseases. Uh, but in the seed, it doesn't really serve um, a, any big purpose. Uh, so because it's present in the seed, uh, we cannot feed it to say uh, monogastric animals or non-ruminants such as pigs, chicken, fish, certainly uh, human beings, we cannot eat it. Uh, the only animal that it is fit for are uh, cattle. Uh, ru ruminant animals, they have specialized stomachs, so uh, the gossypol, uh, can, they can tolerate gossypol at certain level. And uh, we have been <coughs> growing cotton, for example, in the world for about 7,000 years. And uh, th there is some ancient literature, in fact, from India, that also talks about uh, growing cotton for its fiber, but then uh, um, feeding the seed to the cows. So there is a long history of feeding cotton seed to the cows. Uh, and uh, but uh, obviously because of this uh, toxic nature of cottonseed, uh, it's not consumed directly or uh, not even given to uh, animals such as chicken, pigs, fish, and so on. Well, what would happen if humans or animals were to consume gossypol? What, what happens? So yes, uh, uh, gossypol has some negative health impacts uh, on humans, monogastric animals, and even young cows, uh, they can suffer from, uh, uh, it causes heart and liver damage, also causes anemia. Uh, basically, it reduces uh, red blood cell count. And uh, so that's why it's, uh, you, you cannot consume it for uh, long periods of time. I'm talking about, you know, weeks or months uh, for these animals. Uh, now, the reason why ruminants can uh, handle cottonseed to a certain level is because of uh, the, the rumen, which has different types of microflora. 
and this microfloral activity, um, it 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 uh, due to this microfloral activity, the gossypol binds to the soluble protein, which is then uh, not absorbed. So the uh, the, uh, the gossypol is not absorbed by the animals, so they can handle cotton seed up to a certain level, but at higher levels, even cows can suffer. Yeah, so you have this very high protein seed that is, you know, 22% protein is a lot of protein. And you have a need for food for animals and for humans. And a lot of humans live inside uh, the developing world where cotton production is something, uh, cotton grows well there. And so how much of the food is going to waste? How much do we lose in terms of uh, the potential to feed people with cottonseed? Yeah, well, uh, we certainly do not throw away the cotton seed, not even in the poor countries. As I said, it's mainly fed to the ruminants. But as you know, that ruminants are not the most efficient animals. Um, we talk about uh, protein conversion ratio. So, for example, the protein conversion ratio for beef cow is 20, meaning that you have to provide 20 pounds of feed protein to get one pound of beef protein. Okay, so that's the protein conversion ratio, or PCR as we call it. Uh, compare that to pigs, uh, PCR for pigs is 5.7, uh, for chicken is 4.7, uh, uh, some of the fish, for example, salmon, uh, it's 4.7. So these animals are much more efficient uh, compared to the cows. And uh, if the best possible use of a feed protein is to give it to the chicken to produce eggs. So the PCR for eggs is about 2.6. So uh, egg production is uh, seven times more efficient than uh, producing say beef. And if you had limited quantity of this feed protein, it's better to feed it to these other animals compared to feeding it to the cows. And just to give you some idea how much uh, protein is locked up in the uh, uh, overall uh, cottonseed output uh, around the world. So as I said, uh, we produce about 47 million tons of uh, cottonseed currently. That amount of cotton seed has about 10.8 trillion grams of protein, uh, and if you if you uh, say a human being requires about 50 grams of protein per day to survive, so that amount of protein, if it can be used directly for human nutrition, it can meet the basic protein requirements of over 500 million people. So we are not using this vast resource of protein in a very efficient manner by feeding it to the cows. So this is really a fascinating opportunity for science to potentially step in to limit the toxins and be able to create seed and capture the potential by feeding it to other animals that have better feed conversion ratios. So we're speaking with Dr. Kirti Rathor, who's a professor at Texas A&M University. And we're going to be speaking today about his solution that his team employed to decrease the toxic levels of, of gossypol in cottonseed. This is the Talking Biotech Podcast. We'll be back in just a moment. Today, a note about autorex, podcasts, and happy endings. 
A note to the Talking Biotech podcast comes from Jenny from Bemidji, Minnesota. She says that she was listening to the Talking Biotech podcast while driving late on a snow-covered country road. She hit a patch of black ice and ended up losing control of her vehicle, rolling and landing upside down. She was unable to call for help as she was unable to find her phone. But wherever it was, it continued to play the Talking Biotech podcast. She was trapped there for over an hour, cold but unharmed. Thank goodness for airbags. She wrote, I closed my eyes and listened to the podcast. Kevin and Paul kept me company until help arrived. She was able to enjoy two complete episodes of the Talking Biotech podcast and said that the soothing messages of science made a desperate time much more pleasurable. Thank you for letting us know, Jenny, and proud to be your podcast, Jaws of Life. Share your experiences or interests with us at TalkingBiotech at gmail.com. And now, back to the podcast. And now we're back on the Talking Biotech podcast. We're speaking with Dr. Kirti Rathor, who's a professor at Texas A&M University, about his team's innovation in cotton and how a genetic engineering tweak has allowed the decrease in gossipol in cotton seed. And it basically unleashes or unlocks the potential of this protein source for animal and human food. We talked about what gossipol is and some of the ways that it, it can only be consumed or processed by ruminant animals and how it could be useful if allowed to be used for other animals. How did your lab seek to limit gossipol production? Yes, so what we basically did was to silence a gene, which is a delta cadmium synthase gene, uh, but did so uh, in a very seed-specific manner. So the, and use the gene silencing technology, RNAi or RNA interference, which was under the control of a highly seed-specific promoter, which we derived from cotton itself. Uh, now, delta cadmium synthase is a key enzyme in gossipol biosynthesis. It uh, acts as a, uh, it cyclizes farnesyl diphosphate to delta cadmium. It's a very early step in uh, gossipol biosynthesis. So we block that step using RNAi and um, and and uh, achieve this trait. Uh, now, we had some uh, failures along the way. Initially, when we started, uh, we were using antisense technology, which was not very effective, and also it turned out that it was unstable. But RNAi uh, proved to be much stronger silencing technology, and the trait that we derived from this RNAi was stable uh, from generation to generation. That's really great. And just for listeners who are curious, you know, who maybe don't have the same background, RNAi is the process where you place the sequence of the gene you're trying to silence into the organism in a forward and then backwards orientation. 
And what it does is that if you can imagine something that's forward and then backwards, a single-stranded DNA sequence, that when that's expressed as RNA, the RNA will tend to fold back on itself and make a hairpin that the organism seems to recognize as something potentially dangerous. And it has a mechanism that then degrades that sequence. But then the information that's used to degrade the sequence also targets the internal gene expression. So it's a way to silence a specific gene. And it works pretty well. So when you're looking in gossipol levels, I guess there's two questions here. One is, is that does it completely eliminate gossipol or does it just make a very low amount? And is that a risk? That's one question. The other question is, this is kind of early in a terpenoid um, uh biosynthetic pathway. And so are there collateral effects on other terpenoids? Uh, yes. So um, to answer your first question first, uh, we have, so it, the level of gossipol varies from variety to variety of cotton. Uh, but on average, the cotton seed is about 10,000 parts per million uh, in gossipol. And um, we have brought it down using RNAi to about 300 parts per million. So RNAi is not uh, never 100%, but we have been able to get this big reduction in the level of gossipol in the seed. So from 10,000 parts per million to 300 parts per million. Now FDA considers anything safe uh, for human use even if the levels of gossipol are below 450 parts per million. The WHO FAO guidelines are a little higher. They, they allow anything for food consumption if the levels of gossipol are below 600 parts per million. So 300 parts per million is safe for human beings as well as for animals. Now, uh, with regards to your second question, uh, yes, uh, the step that we have blocked is early in the uh, biosynthesis of gossipol. And so none of these uh, terpenoids are produced in the seed. Uh, and in fact, seed, the, the predominant terpenoid in the seed is gossipol. Okay, so gossipol, uh, the seed does not contain any other terpenoids. Uh, so that's one thing to remember. But in the remaining plant, there are uh, mainly in the, especially the green parts of the plant, uh, we have uh, <coughs> hemigossipolon and uh, heliocytes. And uh, these, these uh, terpenoids also, in fact, they play a much bigger role in uh, protecting the cotton plant from insects. They have much higher insecticidal ac activity. Uh, but those compounds plus the gossipol are at normal level in these RNAi plants. So, uh, yeah, so the thing to remember is that this uh, seed contains just the gossipol. And uh, so when we block or the uh, interfere with uh, delta cadmium synthase, we're eliminating that gossipol from the seed. Well, even that said, you know, the consumer is, is a funny creature and they really will have to be able to trust this because of more evidence. And so has there been any emphasis on or any trials in feeding the uh, new seed or products from the seed to animals or even in human trials for uh, to ensure its safety? Okay, so 
this is a, a, a pretty brand new product. We don't do not have enough seeds to uh, certainly to utilize for human nutrition studies. But we have carried out a shrimp feeding study as well as a, a fish feeding stu study. Um, the fish was the southern flounder, and both these studies found uh, our cottonseed to be a really good source of uh, protein and uh, for their growth and development and so on. We have benefited from some of the studies that were carried out in 60s, 70s, and 80s from the so-called Hopi cotton. So in the 50s, uh, one of the USDA scientists, uh, he discovered that uh, a mutant cotton that was being grown by American Indians of the Hopi tribe in Arizona. Now that particular mutant of cotton did not have any gossipol at all anywhere in the plant. Uh, and so you may be wondering why not use that plant. Well, that plant is certainly very good uh, in terms of not having any gossipol in the seed or anywhere else. Uh, but because it didn't have any gossipol uh, in other parts of the plant, the, uh, the plant gets heavily attacked by insects. And so farmers certainly don't want to grow that. But what that allowed us to do or that allowed other scientists to do is to uh, figure out the nutritional value of cottonseed. And at that time, several human nutrition trials were launched, uh, some here in Texas. Uh, there were others in Central American countries, some in West Africa, and also in Asia. All these studies found that uh, this cottonseed was good enough for people to eat. Uh, in fact, it uh, could even address some of the uh, problems that arise due to protein malnutrition. And uh, certainly that cotton seed was also used uh, in uh, feeding trials uh, for chicken, pigs, fish, and so on. And again, uh, uh, all these trials found that uh, th the seed was good enough for uh, monogastric animals. So we benefited from this old data and FDA was certainly aware of that data. and. Uh, uh, so they did not require us to do extensive feeding studies or even human nutrition studies because they already have this data. That's really great. And I, I really you know, congratulate you on clearing both APHIS and FDA approval. That means that these products really should potentially start to emerge and we may start to see them uh, available in one form or another. What might we start to see either in the stores or maybe in the feed store that contain the ultra-low gossipol cotton? Uh, yes, uh, good question. Now, <clears throat> certainly as far as uh, direct human consumption goes, uh, one can use this cotton seed in, in a variety of ways. One would be using it as a roasted uh, kernels. Uh, in fact, using that uh, Hopi cotton, uh, Texas A&M did some studies in 80s where they roasted some cottonseed kernels and tried it out on uh, people uh, in terms of taste and everything. And people actually liked the taste of cottonseed kernels. They certainly preferred it over soybean seeds uh, in terms of taste. And so that's one way you can use it. You can use the cottonseed uh, protein in say protein bars or uh, protein shakes. I think these are becoming very popular these days. 
you can certainly take the cottonseed flour and mix it with uh, or uh, and mix it with regular uh, flour, wheat flour, or any other flour, and uh, enrich that flour uh, with cottonseed protein, and you can make tortillas or bread or any other baked goods out of that. So that way, it'll be used for human nutrition. Now, I think it can also be used as a feed for chicken and fish, uh, and as you probably know that uh, aquaculture and poultry is two uh, are two of the biggest uh, or fastest growing food production industries. Uh, I'll give you some examples. Uh, in India, which used to be a largely vegetarian country, uh, so from 1961 to 2017, chicken production for meat went up by 51 fold in India. In China, it went up by 29-fold during that period. Egg production in India went up from by 24-fold, and in China, it went up by 17-fold. So you can imagine how big the demand is for the poultry feed. And so this cotton seed can easily meet some of that demand. The other industry that is growing very fast is aquaculture industry. It's growing at a rate of about 8% a year. And uh, also right now they're looking for some other sources of feed. Uh, and uh, again, cottonseed can certainly fulfill that demand in aquaculture industry. And as I said, we have already conducted a couple of studies, small studies, uh, shrimp feeding study and uh, southern flounder feeding studies and the uh, cotton, our cotton seed was good enough for both these species. Well, that seems like the tip of the iceberg because so many countries throughout the world, especially in the developing world uh, and also other emerging economies, really do have a, a, a good amount of cotton production. And do you think this will have really big impacts maybe in places like Burkina Faso or other places that you know are in the news because of cotton production? Uh, yes, that's exactly right. Uh, so... Um, uh, Apart from maybe a handful of countries where the cotton is grown, uh, most other countries suffer from um, protein deficiency and deficiency of other nutrients. And again, to give you uh, uh, an example of India and Pakistan, these are currently number one and number four producers of cotton. But they also suffer from hunger. So a, the Global Hunger Index published in uh, 2018 of, uh, included about 119 countries and India and Pakistan are close to the bottom of that list. Uh, India, India is at 103 place and uh, Pakistan is at 106th place on that uh, index. So these countries can certainly benefit from this extra source of protein. Uh, you talked about West uh, African countries. Uh, many of the West African countries, uh, cotton is a cash crop. It's a big export earner item. In fact, it may, in some of these countries, cotton is uh, either number one or number two export income earner. But again, Benin, for example, is uh, number 80 on that uh, global hunger index. Uh, Burkina Faso is on 89 position. Mali is at 90. 
So these countries are also suffering from hunger and malnutrition, and they could certainly benefit from this uh, seed. Well, the other unique aspect of this particular innovation is that you're a university scientist, and you got uh, approval from APHIS and FDA. And I know from my own experience and experience of other scientists, we've had products that were potentially useful, yet didn't want to go down the pathway to regulation because of its cost and time. And so what was the process like? And, you know, was it something that you found really challenging to navigate as someone associated with the university? Oh, certainly. Uh, We had all kinds of obstacles to overcome. Uh, The science was uh, not that easy to begin with. Um, So as I mentioned earlier, uh, we tried antisense, and uh, in fact, one of the other things to uh, realize is that cotton is not the easiest uh, 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 crop to transform. It takes about a year to go from transformation to getting a plant back, if you're lucky. Uh, so, so that was one hurdle. Um, and then, as I said, antisense did not work very well, and so, and the funding was very difficult also in the early days. Uh, We struggled a lot to get any sort of funding to do this work. Um, So it took us about 10 years to just uh, prove the science uh, using the RNAi. And that was in 2006 when we published our first paper. Uh, But once that uh, happened, then uh, Cotton Incorporated came in. This is an organization supported by cotton farmers for the benefit of cotton um, improvement and so on. So they started funding our work um, uh, further to develop this technology and then also go through the regulatory process. Um, So, but again, it took us about 11 years. And what that um, involved is uh, producing 200 more lines of uh, these RNAi lines. we had to prove that the trait was heritable and stable under field conditions. Um, we had to identify uh, lines that had single copy insert. And also we had to figure out the site of transgene integration. So there, that means a lot of molecular analysis had to be done, uh, both in terms of expression as well as the site of integration. We had to make sure that uh, no other big backbone of the plasmid was uh, inserted. Uh, obviously, we had to do a lot of biochemical analysis, not just on the seed, but also the rest of the plant to make sure that the rest of the plant contains the same level of these terpenoids that protect the plant. After doing that, we carried out uh, multi-state, multi-year field trials Uh, These were done by independent contractors in three different states, uh, Mississippi, North Carolina, and Texas. And so we obtained data on agronomic performance, uh, the fiber yield, seed yield, and the quality of these two uh, items, as well as seed composition analysis. And all that data was put together, and it took us about 11 more years to... uh, collect all the data from these uh, regulatory trials and everything. And so we prepared the petition for USDA APHIS and dossier for the FDA. We submitted that in 2017, fall of 2017. 
and the AFIS uh, deregulation came last year in 2018, October, and FDA blessings just came just October this year. So it was a lot of work. Um, uh, it's not something one should take lightly, but the good thing is that it can be done. So I, 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 I encourage uh, my fellow scientists who are working this field uh, not to be uh, frightened by this. Uh, obviously, it does take money. So um, after Cotton Incorporated came in uh, and started supporting the uh, deregulation, well, development and deregulation part of it, I think they spend, they must have spent at least $3 million on this thing. Uh, but it can be done, and uh, I am actually writing, in fact, our manuscript is being uh, reviewed right now uh, that describes the whole process that we have gone through, and uh, this will help others um, to, to, to do the same thing that we've done uh, with their um, trades and with their crops. Well, that's really exciting, and congratulations on that. I mean, that's that's not an easy process, and I, I've been aware of your publications in this area for a long time. I mean, it's been for years. I mean, you have papers that I've recognized from a while ago. When we start to look, though, at, at the application of this, and you know, most of the publications are very much rooted in basic science, how do the benefits perhaps help farmers and even the environment, maybe in the industrialized world? Uh, yes, uh, good question. So uh, as things stand today, uh, farmers are growing and getting their income only by selling the fiber. In fact, the way it is in the U.S., uh, cottonseed basically pays for the ginning cost. So when farmer takes his crop to the gin, uh, the gin will uh, <coughs> uh, separate the fiber from the seed and gives the fiber to the farmer and farmer sells that fiber and derives his income from that, his or her income from that. The gin keeps the seed and as, as the cost of ginning. And so gin will sell it to these feed processing companies. And basically some of the cotton, even in the U.S., is crushed for oil, about 30%. And then... Either the whole cotton seed or the cotton seed meal is fed to the cows. Okay, now with with this uh, adoption of this technology or this trade, our hope is that the value of this cotton seed will go up. It can certainly easily compete with uh, with soybean, and so the value of this cotton seed will go up. So uh, our our expectation is the uh, as the price of uh, cotton seed go, goes up, the farmer will get more more money for their crop, uh, not just for the fiber, also some for the seed. So that's uh, that'll be a benefit to the farmer. And that should be this, you know, the same sort of benefit will go to the farmers in other countries who adopt this technology. Um, now you asked about uh, how does it benefit the environment? It can benefit the environment in a couple of different ways. For example, we are all hearing about uh, these uh, uh, fires being set in the Amazon and some other uh, places around the world, and that is to uh, to 
to remove the forest and uh, in in its uh, place uh, either graze uh, cattle or uh, or grow more soybean the demand for protein around the world is so high for protein that uh, people are just clearing the land to grow more soybean now if cottonseed protein is available to meet that demand that will reduce some pressure on the forests so that will be one way it will it can help the environment um, the other is uh, the uh, health of the oceans as i said aquaculture is one of the fastest growing uh, food production industry it's growing at a rate of about 8% and um, the way so there is a really kind of uh, big shortage of feed for the aquaculture industry um, so currently what they do is uh, they catch this uh, what they call the forage fish it's the small uh, fish that's caught in the ocean and they grind that up and use that as a feed for the uh, in the fish farms to feed the salmon and catfish and so on and uh, we and this is not sustainable at the rate it's going so so they they are looking for alternative sources of feed and uh, cotton seed can certainly fulfill that demand and as i said we have already done a couple of small studies and they, they these studies found the cotton seed to be a really good source of uh, fish feed so again it so it can benefit the you know uh, the forests as well as the oceans well that's really great i love the fact that there's multiple levels of sustainability here and different ways that it can benefit farmers and consumers in the environment and the food and secure which are the four areas i worry about all the time but what about me? <laughs> um, when 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 can I uh, expect to try some you know low gossipal cotton based um, you know impossible burgers or you know something like that for the consumer? Sure. Uh, yeah. So it, it'll take some time. Uh, so as you know, that most of the uh, farmers buy their cotton seed uh, from these seed companies. Uh, so. And because they, they want the traits that are already present in those uh, seeds from these companies, for example, you know, BT gene and the Roundup Ready or the, uh, the Dicamba more recently, Dicamba resistance and so on. So um, we are talking to all the, uh, all the seed companies and uh, our, you know, we hope that all of them will um, take on this technology and utilize it. Uh, we want all the farmers around in the US and around the world to benefit from it. At the same time, we're also talking to the seed processors uh, and uh, we we'll talk to a couple of them, but uh, this these uh, things will take some time. So, uh, <laughs> I, I would uh, say maybe on a, four to five years before we we see this out, uh, you know, for human nutrition and other usage. One, one other thing that we are doing is, uh, again, trying to demonstrate the benefit of this uh, cotton seed. So just this year in North Carolina, we just had our very first uh, big seed, seed increase. I wouldn't call it a big seed increase. It was just about a 0.2 acres of uh, uh, of the field that we that actually has been harvested and the seed that we get from this north carolina this will be uh, again used for uh, another big increase uh, the 
seed processing companies, they want almost two to 3,000 tons of seed before they can push it through their processing system. So we're, going, we're aiming for that, and uh, this will uh, demonstrate the value of this cotton seed and, how, and the economics of it. Yeah, so all this is in process right now, so I cannot give you a hard number. So what do you say to the skeptic who says this is just another biotech trade that just is going to benefit a big company to be able to make more money on seeds? Uh, the only thing, I think the take-home message probably for your audience should be that uh, this, uh, uh, what we call the ultra-low gossipol cottonseed, it uh, represents a unique biotech trade that will not only benefit the farmers, but also the cottonseed processing industry, the environment, and human health. So compared to other biotech products that are out there that have been produced by these big biotech companies, it has multiple benefits for humanity. All of this work was really initiated back when Dr. Borlaug was still with us here and, and there at Texas A&M and associated with this work. And I, I imagine that he was really supportive of this idea. And, and what do you think he would say or what did he say back then? And how do you think he would feel today if he were still with us? Oh, yes, that's a really, really good uh, <clears throat> question. Uh, so I consider myself lucky that I had the opportunity to interact with Dr. Norman Borlaug. Um, uh, he was a, a faculty member in my department, and uh, once he came to know about my project, he became one of the big uh, fan of this project, and he's the one who kind of encouraged me to continue this work even uh, during the lean times when I was struggling to get any sort of money to do this project. Uh, and uh, he's the one who kind of saw the benefits of this technology uh, for the poor cotton farmers in Africa and Asia. So he was certainly a big source of inspiration for me and the people in my lab. And um, so, yes, uh, he would, and luckily, uh, I believe he passed away in uh, um, 2009. So at least he was um, he was alive when this, we proved the science, and so so that part he saw. But certainly, I wish uh, he was alive today. He would be out there, you know, making phone calls and you know, beating on uh, the doors of these companies <laughs> to, to, to encourage them to adopt this technology. Uh, but uh, anyway, we're carrying the legacy of uh, Dr. Norman Borlaug. Well, that's absolutely wonderful. Well, you know, Dr. Kirti Rathor, you know, if, if someone wants to know more about your program or about this project, where would they look on the web or maybe on social media? We have spent a great deal of time with some of my other co-authors to write this uh, big uh, extensive manuscript that covers all aspects of this technology and the history of the cotton seed and its use and so on. And it's being reviewed right now. Hopefully it'll be accepted. And when it comes out, it'll be a very useful source for a lot of people, not just people uh, working on cotton, but other crops and trying to improve these other crops through biotech means. 
Well, thank you very much again, Dr. Rathor, and thank you very much, listeners, for sticking with us through 200 and some episodes of the Talking Biotech podcast. Your kind words, your retweets, your sharing on Facebook and through other areas of media really do encourage me to keep going and really share more science. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. Send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review of this podcast on iTunes and recommend it to a friend. More downloads help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.